Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Our Father, our King, Lord, we are excited about what you're doing in our lives, in our communities, in our families. For Father, we know that through the Messiah, Yeshua, all of your promises are yes and amen. And we seek to be obedient to you so that we can walk in your ways and receive your blessing and so that we can be a blessing to others. Father, uh, continue to help us and to strengthen us as we journey along on this um, sometimes difficult road of faith and obedience. Uh, we know we're going to make mistakes, and we know that you are not uh, expecting obedience. And yet, Father, we do want to be pleasing to you. We want to yield our lives to you. We want to say yes to the Spirit and say no to the flesh. And so, Father, uh, we endeavor to surrender our all to you. Continue to press us ever forward, challenging us, growing us up, uh, increasing our faith in you and our dependency upon your words and upon your promises so that we can be lights and salt to those around us, so that we can demonstrate what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. For indeed, we know that the, the days are growing ever darker and that without your help, without your guidance, without your leading, without your promises, which are true, which are sure, Father, we will lose our way and we'll fail to be a witness to those around us. Give us an opportunity to share our witness with our friends, with our family members, uh, with those that we encounter, uh, those who are seeking answers, those who are searching for truth in this age of, um, of duplicity, in this age of, of watered-down beliefs. Uh, it's easy just to swim along with the tide and let it carry us along towards uh, secular humanism and the other nonsense that's clouding the judgment of everyone around us, Father. But we don't want to be that way. We want to be different. We want to be children of the King. and We want to be um, leaders by that capacity. So we seek to uh, avail ourselves of your Spirit for that reason. Thank you for the students who have come out tonight, uh, who have joined us in this study in Galatians. Uh, we pray that you will open our ears, open our hearts uh, to understand the text. Uh, Father, be with me as a teacher as I uh, convey the truths that you've shown me. Uh, I pray that you will help me stay faithful to what you have uh, revealed to me. And that you'll give the students the capacity for retaining the truths that are, that are pertinent uh, for our lives. We'll be careful to give you the praise for it is indeed in Yeshua's name that we declare all of these things. Amen. Well, uh, I would like to welcome everyone out to another study in the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman-Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tenuva in Denver, Colorado. Uh, today is Tuesday, January 19th, 2016. This is week 13 in our ongoing study in the book of Galatians. It's um, kind of a, I like to call it a never-ending study because I haven't really put a limit on how long it'll take for us to get through my study. It's about 122 pages, and I'm just working my way page by page through the material. If you are interested in joining the class, you can meet us every Tuesday evening. Join us every Tuesday evening live on the internet um, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. For details, you can reach out to me by way of email or go to my website at 
dot com. That's T E T Z E T O R A H dot com. And uh, right along the top, there are some menu items. Click on the link that says Galatian Study, and you should find the relevant information about not only the written materials, the audio notes that I'm recording each week, uh, you should find some information about the uh, live class as well. So I'd love to have you out. There's room in the uh, live study, but seating is limited, and you also will need credentials to get into the class. Even though it's free, um, you still need a username and a password to sign into the WizIQ um, uh, software. So I will be more than happy to supply you with WizIQ credentials. Unless you'd like to sign up for your own, those, those are also free from WizIQ. But you don't have to create your own. You're welcome to use the ones that I've created as a teacher. So reach out to me. Um, my email is available um, at, uh, if you're at... If you visit my Tate's Tour website and look at the very top or the very, very bottom. There should be a link to contact me, an email link, a little icon that looks like an envelope. Just click on that, and it'll send me an email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com, and I'd be more than happy to um, give you details on joining us every week, every Tuesday evening, for our live study in Galatians. Okay, um, for those of you who are with me live today, this tonight, um, it's wonderful to have you out every week. Uh, we just meet for about an hour, and I go over some liturgy, and then I just uh, cover the notes for half an hour. I'm sorry, for an hour. And then for those of you who are in the live class, a special feature exclusive to those who are live, there is a chat feature that I will um, uh, open up the room, the chat room. There's a chat feature that's built into the WizIQ software. And what I do is I open up the chat room for the, less, for the, for the 15 minutes that are remaining after the hour-long teaching. And this is exclusively for those who are joining us live. I don't record the chats. I don't um, um, capture them and keep them anywhere for anyone to, to monitor. They don't get uh, uh, uploaded to the internet is what I'm trying to say, like the live uh, teachings do. So it is a bonus to be able to sit and chat with you for 15 minutes afterwards each class. You can pick my brain, I can pick your brain, or we can just encourage one another, share with one another, pray with one another, whatever the Lord leads us to do during that last 15 minutes. Uh, of the uh, of our meeting each week, okay? So I encourage you to come on out for the live chat feature that is tacked onto the end of the live teaching feature, okay? With that, let me um, entertain some liturgy. Uh, we've been talking about circumcision, and for the last few weeks I've been reading what I call circumcision liturgy, where I read a passage out of the uh, Old Testament, or the Tanakh, and then a passage out of the New Testament, or the Chadashah, apostolic writings, whatever you want to call it, and then I read the Hebrew and the Greek of those um, particular verses. Well, we're transitioning in week 13 to a new section in the study of the Galatians. We're in week 13, and we're going to start part 3 of the topical section of the study. Part 3 being entitled, Proselyte Conversion Works of the Law, Part 1, Understanding the Background. And the notes are always sent each week to those who are enrolled in the, in the class. So you can follow along either by email. If you're sitting in front of your computer, you can open up the email that I sent you a few days ago, which contains the notes at the very bottom. Or you can follow along if you're in the live class. Just look at your screen or your smartphone, however you're joining us. And I should have the notes pulled up in front of you there. Or, if you're listening to this recording after the fact, by way of the iTunes podcast, or you're just listening to it um, after it's been uploaded to one of my websites, then um, you can go to my website at tatesaytor.com and click on the Galatians notes and just um, scroll down to section 3, Proselyte Conversion, and you can follow along there. The liturgy is going to shift this week. We're going to move a bit. We're not, we're not abandoning our talks about circumcision just yet, but I want to read some different liturgy uh, just because of its relevance for what we're going to be talking about tonight. So um, you won't be able to see what I'm looking at, but let me jump over to, uh, let's see, a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 11 will be our Hebrew um, portion. And then uh, I'm going to read a, uh, a passage out of Galatians chapter 2 for our New Testament portion and our Greek section. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, there is a section that is um, that has been included in the daily prayers that uh, most 
Torah-observant Jews will pray, myself included. Every morning, we call this Shacharit. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse uh, 13 and reading all the way down to verse 22, there's a section that we read. It's actually included in what we call the Shema. So the Shema is a Hebrew word which refers to hearing and doing, hearing and obeying. The word Shema captures both of those concepts, hear and obey. And um, we recite these passages uh, at least three times a day, uh, along with other prayers that we read that are included in our prayer books. And this particular uh, section that I'm going to read in, in uh, English and in Hebrew is part of that section that we include in our prayer, in our liturgy. So let me read out of the uh, ESV version for us, for the English part, and then I'll just jump over into the Hebrew for you. And that'll be our liturgy for the Hebrew. And then I'll read the English uh, and, he uh, English and uh, Greek for our New Testament selection. Deuteronomy 11, starting in verse 13, quote, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your rain, your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Verse 18, And you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. That's verse 21. So uh, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 through 21 is what I just read there in English. Let me go over and read that same passage in Hebrew. Let me turn to it here. What did I say? Starting in verse 13. Okay. I'm not going to go slowly like I did last week. I'll just read regular speed Hebrew if that's okay with everyone. Um, for those of you who can read Hebrew and you've got a prayer book opened up to this passage, then you should be able to follow along with me. For those of you who can't read Hebrew, well then just sit back and enjoy the Hebrew as best as I can approximate it, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21 in Hebrew reads... Verse 14. Verse 16. He shamru lachen pen yifte lavavchem, vusavtem, vavatem elohim acherim, acherim, vahishtakavitem lachem. Verse 17. The af adonai, the et hashamayim, the lo yye, matar ha adama lo titen et yvula, vavatem, mehera mehal mehal. Me'al ha'aretz hatova asher Adonai notain lachem. Verse 18. V'samtem et v'de devarai ele al-lavavchem otam ot al-yedchem v'hayu l'totofot bain e'nechem. Verse 19. otam et b'nechem Lidber bam bishivtaka, bivetaku, lektaka, vederaku, shataka, uv kumeka. Verse 20. Uktavtam al mezuzot betaku vish arrecha. Verse 21. Lamaan yirbu yemechem venekem al haadama asherd nishba adonai la avotechem letet lehem ki yeme hashamim al haaretz. Alright, that's 11 through 22. And now let me read some. Uh, English and Greek. Let's 
turn to Galatians 2. This is a familiar two verses. It's not going to be a long um, passage out of the New Testament. And this is going to be relevant for our move into a study about proselyte conversion and works of the law. It is our familiar passage from Galatians 2, verses 16 and 17. And I've read this in the past, but I'll read it again for tonight. And I'm starting right in the middle of the context of the chapter, so you'll just have to go back and pick up the context on your own. Uh, starting in verse 16, again, this is out of the ESV. Uh, quote, yet we know, this is Paul talking, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And verse 17, but if in our endeavors we seek to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. You know what? I don't think I want to read. Uh, I don't think I want to read verse 17. I'll just read... Um, I think I'll stop with verse 16. So, let's jump over into some Greek. Uh, let's turn down, to, scroll down to verse 16 on my screen here. I know you're not seeing what I'm seeing, but uh, just bear with me. Where is verse 16? Looking at the Greek. Okay, here we go. Let's read those that same verse. Um, in Greek... Okay. Uh, verse 16 out of Greek reads, Idotis de hati u daikaiutai anthropos ex ergonamu in media pistios de pistios Christu Jesu, kai hemais ais Christon Jesum epistusimen, hina dekaiothomen ek pistios Christu kaiuk ex ergonamu, hati ex ergonamu. U dik uh, uh, what does that say? Dikaiotesetai pasa sarks. Okay, and I apologize for stumbling over some of the Greek for you. Uh, what's the old saying? Um, Greek is still sometimes Greek to me. My Hebrew's a little more polished than my Greek. I'm, I've been studying Hebrew for probably twenty five years, off and on, along with the other languages that I'm trying to juggle in my head: English. Korean, things like that. Um, but Greek, I've just been, um, I've taken it upon myself to teach myself Greek in these last, say, five years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm learning to get more comfortable with reading through the Greek and understanding what I'm reading and things like that. So thank you all for allowing me to read the Hebrew and the Greek. Okay, let's go back to our study. For those of you who are in the class, let's look at, um, let's look at the notes here. And by the way, for those of you who are in the live class, and you're certainly welcome as I'm teaching to type questions that you have right then at the moment. I may not stop and pull out and address the question or the comment. Uh, I'll certainly get to them at the end of the teaching sessions, but I do want to encourage you, if you have a question right at the moment when I'm, t when I'm teaching, that you, won't, you don't think you'll remember uh, when we get to the end of the class, go ahead and type it then. Type it now, because the chat will stay there, and then I'll, uh, at the end I'll go back and read whatever um, chat that I need to. So I just want to encourage everyone, I'm not ignoring the chat. If you have a question or a comment and I see the chat there, I may not address it in the live class. I may have to wait until the very end, unless it's something that just absolutely fits with what I'm talking about right at the moment, and I need to address it. But otherwise, I'll try and uh, work it out that way, okay? I'm not going to be able to read all four of the pages that are available for us tonight. I'll probably just break it down into two pages tonight, and then we'll save the rest for next week. But I think we can take a bite out of this uh, topic. So remember, as I back up a little bit into context, where we are picking up our study and why we're going in the direction that we're going. My commentary to the book of Galatians is a little bit different than your average um, verse-by-verse commentary to this book. And the reason I structured it this way is because I want to give my readers kind of a topical look at the background material to the uh, book of Galatians and not just novel trivia material, although I think that's helpful. That's not my main focus of my commentary. In other words, if you notice, I don't go into various details on like where on the map Galatian, Galatia, the region of Galatia is, and I don't spend a lot of time talking about the background to the culture of ancient Greece or ancient 
Rome or things like that. I don't go into every um, uh, detail behind uh, the culture of the writings and the dating and things like that. Instead, I, I kind of just go straight for the jugular and hit on what I feel is this sociological religious significance of the book as it firstly impacted the readers of Paul's day, and then secondly, how the the, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has superintended the teaching to carry down and be relevant to us uh, nearly 2,000 years later. That's kind of how I've structured the commentary. So with that focus, with that view, what I've done is instead of just conducting a, a, a simple verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the book, um, what I do first is I uh, lay out about 12 different topical sections where I cover these um, concepts that I think are important to wrap your mind around the book itself, or wrap your mind around the theological significance of Paul's writings. In other words, why did he write what he wrote and how it's going to impact his readers and then therefore allow us to make a practical application later on. And then after I move through those 12 topical sections, like um, the, 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 the topics of circumcision, the topics of works of the law, the topics of under the law, the topic of um, Torah obedience, things like that, the topic of salvation, righteousness, um, you know, membership in Israel, things like things that I think Paul would have been trying to convey in his book. After I move through those topical sections in my commentary, I then do actually um, engage in a, somewhat a verse by verse look. But even then, and that's later on in the commentary, that's going to be, oh Lord knows, months away from now. But uh, you're certainly welcome to peek ahead if you want to download the entire 122 page. Uh, commentary and and peek ahead or go to my website at tatesatora.com and uh, click on the Galatians commentary at the top of the um, website and just read through the whole commentary. You're certainly welcome to uh, peek ahead and look at my verse-by-verse -verse section. You'll be disappointed if you're looking for every single verse to have a comment on it because I didn't actually do that. I only commented on what I call the difficult phrasing or what has historically been the verses that stand at a um, at a that allow for disagreement between the the traditional Christian camp and the traditional messianic uh, camp, and what I mean is verses that that can be pulled either one way or another based on your preference or based on your hermeneutic, based on your persuasion and your conviction on the text. And so I picked out, I singled out those verses as I moved through the verse by verse section. That being said. Uh, let's talk about proselyte conversion and works of the law. And so, as I build towards the context, last week and the and the and the previous weeks, we introduced this idea of circumcision, and I um, I put forth the idea that one of the reasons why I believe that circumcision is a topic worthy of um, study as we go into a book like Galatians is because in Paul's manner of thinking, and I'm I'm doing my best to to assume I've got inside the mind of Paul, if you'll allow me that assumption. Um, and that's kind of what I think is a good idea to do as you're reading through the text, is try and figure out why is Paul writing this? What is the Holy Spirit impressing upon his heart that causes him to pin the words and to bring the topics to the forefront the way he's doing? And in order to do that, we kind of have to go back, we have to get in our little um, TARDIS, uh, is it TARDIS? Tartar? It's Tardis, the little uh, time machine box that Doctor Who uses. And we have to go back in time to Paul's day, or maybe if I can use a better analogy, we have to get in our little DeLorean, right, and go back in time as we go back to the future or back to the past, if that's a little more relevant uh, uh, metaphor for those of you in the 21st century, and go back in time and get kind of into the mindset of the first century and put ourselves back in first century Israel and first century um the first century Jewish society in the first century um, social setting that in, allowed for Jews and, and primarily Jews to be members in Israel and to have primarily Jews attending the synagogues. Remember, there was no Christian church yet. And so circumcision in that day, in that worldview, in that uh, ancient worldview, had a slightly different meaning and relevance and importance than it does today, if, at least in today's Christian communities, because of the 
2,000 years of being removed from a Jewish influence. Um, and that's why I thought that it would be important to bring circumcision into the discussion of our study in the book of Galatians. And so with that in view, uh, we're picking up that theme about circumcision, but we're shifting a little bit and we're, we're joining it up with this new topic called proselyte conversion works of the law. And so let's start reading, and I'll read a little bit, and then I'll stop and go back and explain what I've written in an effort to um, get a better understanding. The book of Galatians contains a few technical terms and phrases that make it a bit more difficult for the average Bible student to understand from a casual reading perspective. To be sure, a best practices hermeneutic will seek to uncover the historical, social, and linguistic contexts of the texts in question before attempting to apply a practical application. It's no secret that God commanded Israel to circumcise their male, male children way back in the book of Genesis, and that first century Israel operating under the false security that their covenant status was secured by their ethnic status abused this fundamental commandment. This is tragic. However, even more unfortunate, is the emerging Christian church's wholesale rejection of this covenantal sign as a relevant obedience marker in the communities of Hashem. Let me read one more paragraph, then I'll stop and explain. The church knows that Israel both then and now is preoccupied with Torah observance. The church assumes this is because Israel hopes to gain right standing with Hashem through her devoted obedience to even the law's smallest of details. The church labels this devotion to Torah, quote, works of the law, end quote, taken from the phrase found eight times in six verses in Paul's writings. And there's a footnote that we're going to look at here in a moment uh, to look at all those eight references to works of the law. Let's keep reading. Based on the context of Paul's negative comments about this term, the church chooses to interpret this phrase as, quote, mere commandment-keeping done for the sake of ostensibly gaining favor in God's eyes, end quote. Given this simply, uh, given, there's a typo there, given this simple caricature, it's easy to understand why historic Christianity has equated this phrase with legalism. What is more, with this premise firmly in view, it is a short step for the historic church to then reject the covenant sign of circumcision, uh, circumcision since it is naturally assumed by the church that Israel also hopes to be accepted by God based on being the chosen people. And let's see, let me see how far I want to read before I want to stop and kind of go back. Um, let's read one more paragraph and then I'll stop there. So, uh, as I keep reading, so as I see it, we have historic Israel abusing their covenant status based on her blindness to Yeshua, and we have the church misunderstanding Torah obedience and circumcision based on her negative reaction to anything that makes Gentiles look quote-unquote Jewish, rooted in part by Israel's abuse and misunderstanding of the very same Torah that prophesied that Jesus was the true Messiah. What a mess! Put another way, historic Israel of then and now obviously misunderstands her own scriptures. Along comes the church, taking her cue from unbelieving Israel concerning the meaning of Torah observance and works of the law, and we end up with the blind leading the blind. Oy vey! Okay. All right, let me stop reading there, and I'll go back and kind of explain. But before I explain, uh, let me read those six verses, or those um, eight verses that use the phrase, quote-unquote, works of the law, using ESV. If you look down at the footnote number three, it reads, the ESV, quote, works of the law, end quote, the Greek is ergonamu, is found in Romans 3.20, this, these eight places, okay? It's Romans 3.20, Romans 3.28, Galatians 2.16, three times, and that's why I read it in our liturgy tonight, uh, Galatians 3.2, Galatians 3.5, and Galatians 3.10. Let me go back and read those uh, references for you out of the ESV Bible. So I've got them pulled up on my computer here. Here's Romans 3.20. It reads, quote, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. End quote. Here's Romans 3.28. Quote, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. End quote. 
Here's Galatians 2.16 again, as I already read it earlier. Quote, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. End quote. Here's Galatians 3.2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? End quote. Here's Galatians 3.5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. End quote. And lastly, Galatians 3.10. Quote, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. End quote. Okay. I'm actually going to give you a bonus for those who are in uh, listening to the commentary tonight. I'm going to go back and exegete all eight of those references, all six uh, verses, briefly and give us a kind of a sneak peek of what those verses mean, as, as best as I can tell, based on my own personal research and my own um, studies. Um, and, of course, when we get to those references in Galatians a few months from now, we're going to exegete them again. But, like I said, bonus. I'm going to give you a sneak peek at what I think those verses are saying. In other words, I'm going to describe how the verses are read, interpreted, and applied from a standard Christian hermeneutic. And then I'm going to compare and contrast that with what I've found to be a standard, somewhat standard, messianic or um, new improved hermeneutic, meaning I, I call it new and improved or better based on furthering research into the social background of ancient Israel. And I feel it's a better way of reading Paul because it avoids what I call Luther's trap. And I'll elaborate on that in a bit. But for now... Let's go back and look at what I read here in the notes and kind of explain what I mean as we get into this section. Let me scroll back up for those of you who are following along in the live class. I call this section Proselyte Conversion Works of Law Part 1, Understanding the Background. Now, we already know from our studies of circumcision that this particular topic, circumcision, essentially became a status symbol in Israel, in first century Israel. And it moved from its um, it moved from the commandment to circumcise males to a to Israel's misuse of, of the sign as basically conferring status of Jewishness. And so that essentially it wasn't just um, the cutting away of the foreskin of, of the males. Um, circumcision itself, the term circumcision became used or became synonymous with Jewish identity. And um, the church knows that already, so that's no secret. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, or even through the, the earlier parts of the book of Galatians, you'll remember that um, the description is given that when it's talking about the Jewish people, oftentimes it'll use a circumlocution or it'll use a metadim. It'll, it'll, instead of saying Jewish people or Jews, It'll say the they of the circumcision faction or the circumcised, like in we find earlier in the book of Galatians. We'll say we'll find Paul describing his ministry and Peter's ministry, and he'll use this phrase: Peter was sent to the circumcised, and Paul, uh, speaking of himself, was sent to the uncircumcised. And what do these phrases "circumcised" and "uncircumcised" refer to? Of course, they refer to the Jewish people when we say circumcised, and those who are not Jewish, or the, i.e. the Gentiles or the Greeks, uh, when we say the uncircumcised. So that part has been picked up by the church. The, um, the, 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 those who are studying the book of Galatians have figured that part out. Your average Bible reader kind of encounters that already. But what I found is that a, 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 a vital ingredient that gets missed when we're studying circumcision in our studies of the book of Galatians is that first century Israel, this is kind of where I was um, alluding to in this first three uh, sections, th uh, three chapters that I just read in my notes here. Um, Israel took the, 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 the um, term circumcision and not only used it to describe uh, Jewish identity, but they actually took the ritual of circumcision and the identity that they felt that it conferred upon them, 
they actually took that and used it to become a social badge. A it, They believed that it conferred upon them a social status that was basically tantamount to righteousness, to the status of righteous. So as we read through the Torah, we obviously... Um, we obviously encounter people who have a genuine relationship with God and those who have a kind of a, a not yet genuine. I don't want to say it's spurious or I don't want to say it's disingenuine. I don't really want to say it's false because sometimes it's simply ongoing and it just hasn't been birthed within them yet. They're, they're, they're seeking God, but they haven't really encountered God for real yet. You know what I mean? But in 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 point of fact, we do find people in the Torah and in the scriptures, you know, in both the Tanakh as well as the Apostolic writings, we find people who claim to have a relationship with God, but in point of fact, their actions and their lifestyle um, betray them. Uh, point in fact, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, in Yeshua's day, um, Yeshua laid them bare. He exposed their hypocrisy. Remember, they were touting Torah obedience. They were, they were um, flaunting their obedience to the Torah and their obedience to God's laws and their uh, membership in Israel, as it were. They were wearing their badge on their sleeve. They were wearing their accolades. I'm sorry, they were wearing their accomplishments on the outside of their robes. They made their phylacteries broad and their the tzitzit uh, their, uh, were long. And they loved the uh, best places in the synagogues and the meeting places. And they went about throughout the marketplaces. And they prayed openly as if to seem uh, outwardly overly pious. And so Yeshua described them as um, uh, whitewashed tombs. They looked shiny and polished on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. You know what I'm saying? So... There's always going to be, in every religious community, people who look like they're doing the right thing on the outside. But in reality, because God can see through all of that, and he can see to the heart, God can see the motive. God can see the motive. Now, we can't always see the motive as humans, because we can't always see what's on the heart. Sometimes people are just sloppy, and we can see through their hypocrisy. But oftentimes, it's, it's hard to tell when you look at a when you look at two people who are fervently keeping Torah, it's hard to tell what their motive is. Um, because on the outside, they both look like they are loyal to the commandment. But they both look like they are loyal to the covenant. But really, on the inside, one may have genuine faith and one may have spurious faith. Or one may have um, faith that's not yet real. So, what we're trying to do as we work through this section is we need to remember that First century Israel didn't always have the, the proper motives when she was keeping Torah. And this is the ingredient, I think, that the first century, I'm sorry, this is the ingredient that I think that modern Christian studies miss when they uh, embark on a study on the book of Galatians. They know that circumcision was used as a social marker to set the Jewish people apart from Gentiles. And they know that circumcision um, was a commandment given by God uh, to mark the Jewish people out as covenant members, but what the church often misses, maybe because they don't study the rabbinic writings, maybe because they don't um, concern themselves with studies in the Talmud or anything like that, or maybe because it's uh, inconvenient if they follow this line of thought that I'm about to describe, rather, and, and this is what it is, I think oftentimes the church misses the fact that actually when Paul writes works of the law, which includes circumcision, Paul doesn't really mean simple commandment keeping. He doesn't really imply that the Jewish people of the first century were hoping to gain God's favor slash attention slash salvation slash uh, inheritance of the blessings. Uh, the first century Jews, or the first century um, uh, Torah keepers, didn't wield Torah obedience the way that the church describes merit theology, or mere commandment keeping. And this is the ingredient that I see missing in a lot of the um, Christian commentaries to the book of Galatians that you can pick up in your average Christian bookstore. Now, don't please don't 
misunderstand me. Those of you who are listening to this commentary who are ready to turn off the computer right now, shut me down. I'm not saying that the commentaries that you pick up in your Christian bookstore are bad. On the contrary, most of them are very well-meaning, and most of them hit the mark when it comes to describing Paul's main point, which is that it's not by works that we're saved, but it's by faith in Christ that we're saved. Remember I read Galatians 2.16, right? The works of law will never save you. It's only faith in Christ that will save you. And every Christian commentary that I have referenced, that I've looked at, all they all catch that. And that surely is a central point that Paul is trying to emphasize in his writings, especially in this book of Galatians, is that it's not the works of law that's going to save you. It's the faith in Christ that's going to save you, right? Remember, I read that in verse uh, uh, Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified, and the word justified there that Paul uses is the uh, dikaiosune uh, word that I, I captured. It's a word that uh, conveys a legal status uh, of righteousness, and from um, God's perspective, justified or righteous means acquitted. It's, it's a court term. It's a courtroom term. And it means that one has received the status of righteousness as conferred from the judge who's presiding over the court. In this case, it's God, and the court is the heavenly court. And God is looking down at the person who entered the courtroom as sinner, and God looks at the heart of the person and he sees genuine faith in Christ. And because genuine faith in Christ is present in the heart of the person, then God can bring the gavel down and declare the person justified. Okay, you following me? So it's a legal term. It is a status symbol that, I'm sorry, it's a status that God confers upon a person. So Paul, bringing this metaphor into his writings here, says that we know a person is not justified. You can just fill in the word save there if, you're, uh, if you want to bring it up to 21st century Christianese. We know that a person is not saved by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be saved by faith. I'm, I'm substituting the word justified in the ESV with saved. In order to be saved in Christ and not by works of law, because by works of the law no one will be saved. So that's essentially what Paul's saying. And every Christian commentary I've ever consulted gets this part right. But the part that I find that is missing in many Christian commentaries today is that this phrase, works of law, doesn't really describe Torah obedience so much as it describes the status of being a Jew in the first century community. And that's the part that we're going to keep focusing on in my commentary because I'm hoping that this new information that is um, being discovered, that's being uncovered, and it's been... It's been out in the, 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 the religious communities, in academic studies, for the past 50 years. So it's not like I'm suddenly revealing it to you. It's not like I was sitting in my basement in the lotus position and, and the Spirit downloaded it into my skull and therefore I posted it on the internet for everyone to find and suddenly I've got this formerly hidden secret knowledge that I'm sharing with you. You catch my drift? It's not, la it's not like that. It's, rather, it's really that... Paul had a, a specific meaning, a specific inference behind his use of the phrase ergonamu, works of the law, and it's that we lost that meaning 2,000 years ago, and it kind of went underground because of the um, mainstream uh, upcoming popularity of the Gentilized form of, of this new faith of the first century. And because the Jewishness, the Jewish background to the text was essentially lost, the Jewish culture was suppressed, and within Christian circles, we basically um, elevated the non-Jewish features of the text. Uh, we basically lost the what I what I believe is a genuine and better social understanding of works of the law, and instead we have created we the Christian Church have created our own meaning to this phrase works of the law. And in, and in standard Christian circles, works of the law describes merit theology, that is, mere obedience to Torah. And what, what that ends up doing is, is it creates a caricature of the first century Jews that is a slightly inaccurate. It describes the Jewish people in the first century as wielding or using or um, misusing Torah observance, Torah obedience, in hopes that God will save them based on obedience to Torah. 
And that's not quite how Paul is describing works of the law. So, um, in these last uh, five minutes of the live class, let me go back to those three, uh, I'm sorry, to those uh, eight references and kind of fill in, if I can, somewhat quickly, what I believe what Paul's trying to say here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take my understanding of this phrase, works of law, and I'm going to insert it back into the text as if we were reading this text when Paul, reading these passages, closer to the time frame when Paul wrote them, before we had uh, this twenty, before we had the Christian version of the phrase "works of law" inserted into the text, which means um, um, commandment keeping, in other words, obedience, merit theology. Before we had that, let's kind of strip away the Lutheran view of Paul for a moment, and see if we can read this through a new perspective, um, or rather, a renewed perspective, as I like to call it. Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Given the context of works of the law in Paul's writings, and how I believe that is describing the status of Jewish within the community of Israel, as over and against the status of non-Jew, what I believe Paul's trying to say is, for by being Jewish, no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, for by Jewish status, or by, by status in Israel, um, no human being will be justified in the sight for since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And the reason I think he's describing it that way is because um, you have to remember in first century Israel, the Jewish people felt that they alone, they exclusively, were the inheritors and the possessors of the Torah. The promises of God were spelled out to Israel, to be sure, and the Jewish people had come to believe and we'll, we'll discover why in, in future teachings, so don't worry if it seems like I'm, I'm just glossing over this too quickly for you. The Jewish people in the first century believed that the Torah was a Jewish-only document. And in that worldview, the Torah was not given to Gentiles, and therefore it could not be properly walked out or kept by Gentiles. Therefore, before a person in the first century could enjoy the blessings of God that were spelled out in the Torah... The person had to either be born Jewish, or they had to marry into Jewishness, or they had to convert and become a Jew. And then once Jewish legal, legal Jewish status was recognized by the Jewish community on this person, then and only then was the Torah um, theirs to walk out, theirs to walk into, theirs to claim as their own heritage. And therefore, Paul is going to have to come along with his phrases, works of the law, which are describing this social status of being a Jew, this, this, um, this righteous status. Although, again, it's, it is a legalism. It is a work. But it's not exactly that the Jewish people were trying to earn their salvation by keeping Torah perfectly. That's a view that's kind of postulated by later Christian authors. Rather, the Jewish people were essentially taking their status of Jewishness and offering it up to God as the um, status that should be equated as righteous. This should make them a tzaddik. This should make them a righteous person. This, in their view, should be acceptable to God as righteousness. And that social status of being a Jew over and against being a Gentile is described by Paul as, quote, works of the law. So Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of law. What's Paul saying? We hold that one is justified by faith apart from his social status as a Jew, apart from his legal status within the community of Israel, apart from his, um, his, his standing within Israel as being a Jew who keeps the Torah. All right? That's what he's saying when he says apart from works of law. Apart, apart from his, 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 um, his misapplied status of being a Jew. Remember, there's nothing wrong with being a Jew. It has its advantages. Paul's going to describe that in the book of Romans. What advantage is there to being Jewish? He describes that in Romans 3, and, he, and, he, and then he talks about it again in Romans chapter 9. So being a Jew has its advantages. Um, you can go back and read those passages. Read chapter 3 of Romans and read chapter 9 of Romans. But what Paul's trying to say is that in Christ there is equality. And Christian authors know this. So I'm not teaching anything new when I say that Paul believes in the equality of Jew and Gentile when it comes to gaining a status of righteous. It's this works of the law that becomes the big kicker in, in the, 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 the um, heated discussions between Jews and Christians 
and I mean Messianic Jews when I say Jews there. Let's keep reading. I already read the Galatians 2.16 passage and, and exegeted it for you. Uh, let's jump down to the Galatians 3.2, and then I'll read the Galatians 3.5 and 3.10, and then we'll close out the study tonight, and we'll pick our discussion up again next week with the section 3 of proselyte, um, uh, proselyte conversion works of law. Galatians 3.2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? What's Paul saying? He's saying, let me ask you this. He's speaking to these Galatian Christians who are entertaining the notion of converting to Judaism for the sake of supposedly gaining this advantage of being Jewish so that God will accept them as a righteous person. Okay, God's, uh, So, so uh, Paul is speaking to them when he says, let me ask you this. He's talking to these uh, Galatian Christians who are listening to the uh, these men from Judah, these men from James. Let me ask you the only this. Did you receive the Spirit by being Jewish or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by your conversion to Judaism or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by your membership into the covenant with Israel or by hearing with faith? You see, that's what he's really saying when he says by works of the law. Uh, Galatians 3.5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith. What's Paul saying? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so because you're Israelites? Does he do so, Paul saying, because you're Jewish? Does he do so because you have the Torah in your midst and because as Jews you're keeping the Torah? Is that what? why God supplies the Spirit to you? That's what Paul's saying. And then lastly... Uh, Galatians 3.10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is, a, this is actually a more difficult verse to exegete without more of the context supplied, but I'll do my best to give it to you in the last one minute that I have for the live class. Basically, Paul's saying, For all who rely on their Jewishness uh, to gain them righteousness, to all to all those who rely on the proselyte conversion ceremony to to gain them right standing with God are under a curse. And why are they under a curse? It's because in their effort to present Jewish status up to God, they conveniently ignore genuine faith in in God as evidenced by genuine faith in Messiah. Genu I'm, I'm really stretching out my explanation of the verse. So that's what I have to do. I have to kind of give a paraphrase of the verse in order to explain it. This is still Paul talking. All of you who are relying on your Jewish status for righteousness are conveniently missing the true object of faith, which is commanded by Torah. Torah commands us to have faith and to have genuine love for God, and therefore it essentially commands us to have faith in Messiah. And if you're going to rely on your Jewish status, you're going to miss out on genuine faith in God, which is equal or tantamount to genuine faith in Messiah. And in doing so, you're going to fall into the curse of the law because you're actually not doing what the law, what the law is asking of you, what it expects of you. For it is written, this is Paul talking, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This does not mean that God expects us to keep every law perfectly. God does not, never has, and never will expect 100% perfect Torah obedience as, such a, as if such a thing were plausible. It's not, and that's not what God expects. What rather God expects is that for you to, uh, to surrender yourself to the giver of the Torah, which is God, who will then give you the ability by His Spirit to walk out the Torah by the power of the Spirit in cooperation with your own will as you surrender to the will of God. And in doing so, you will, in fact, keep the righteous requirement of the Torah, and therefore you will do all that the Torah is asking of you because you will have walked into the commandment of faith in God, which is tantamount to faith in Jesus. Do you understand? Now, that's a mouthful, but that's essentially what Paul's trying to say in Galatians 3.10 when he says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse because they're not doing everything that the law is asking to do of them. Paul's not saying they're cursed because they're not keeping the door perfectly. He's actually saying they're cursed because they're casting their faith 
on a mistaken object. The object of their faith is not faith in God, which equals faith in Jesus, which is a commandment of the Torah, which they're missing, which brings them under the curse. Instead, the object of their faith becomes their own social status and their own um, their own position within the people group known as Israel. And because the object of their faith is misplaced, because the object of their faith is their own um, human achievement, either as a Jew by birth or a, a proselyte Jew, because that is the object of their faith, they are going to miss out on the genuine object of faith, which is only the Son of God. Only the Messiah can be the genuine object, object of faith as described in the Torah, because that's the way that God designed it. Amen? Okay. So, essentially, those are the eight times that Paul uses this phrase, ergon namu, works of the law. And with that, we're going to stop uh, teaching for tonight, and I'll close in prayer. And then I'll open the chat room up for the next 15 minutes or so for those of you who are in the live study, okay? Let's pray. Ava, we bless your name and we thank you once again for being with us tonight. We thank you for opening the words of the text to us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for preserving and superintending the text so that we can read through it, so that we can study it, so that we can put it in our hearts, Father, so that we can hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Lord, we seek to be pleasing to you. We seek to find the Messiah in the text and to learn of him and to put on Messiah so that we can walk in your righteousness, so that we cannot display a righteousness of our own, so that we cannot rely on the works of the flesh, so that we will not be deceived by the works of the law and by our social status as Jews or our social status as uh, Torah keepers. Father, we seek to to avail ourselves and to surrender our lives to the Messiah, to the Master, so that you will confer upon us the status of righteousness based on his shed blood, based on his accomplishment at the cross, based on his intercession for us, and based on his ongoing, uh, um, ongoing work of deliverance in our lives as we seek to turn away from sin and to turn and to yield our lives to the Spirit. Help us to be filled with the Spirit so that we can walk according to your ways, so that we can be lights, so that we can be a witness, so that we can be ambassadors. Thank you, Father, for healing us, for you indeed are our healer. For as we say, Blessed are you, O Lord, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. You have healed us, O Lord, and we will be healed. You heal us of our infirmities, and you heal us of our spiritual sickness as well. Thank you that by Messiah's stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us out tonight as a community. Continue to raise us up as community and as Torah keepers and as those who are not ashamed to admit that Jesus is Lord. Raise us up in this evil and dark day to be witnesses of your name. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and to look to you for all things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. 
For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.